Welcome back to The Cypher, conversations with creators from the Black diaspora who are leaning into their roots to create spaces for all of us. I'm your host, Christabel Ntiabwadi. On today's show, why would you go from being a creative producer to the co-founder of a successful, it is successful, production company? My guest today, Andrew Spence, will likely answer that question. He's based in the United Kingdom. He built his career as a DJ and radio presenter who interviewed some big names before going on to his entrepreneurial debut with Unedited, with co-founder Bernard Achampong, who we've had on this series as well. They created the company with the aim of putting black audio and visual productions on the map. Now, prior to that, Andrew was a radio presenter and producer on local radio for 13 years. He began his radio journey by producing two specialist R&B and hip hop shows. All of this means that he has a unique understanding of production through that prism of black excellence, production and music. On today's show, I'll ask him if he gets to put those creative skills to use as a business owner. Andrew, thank you very much for joining the show. Thank you. Are you talking about me then? I'm talking so, about so, you. I, so, I just, you know, when somebody talks about you and you just thought, oh, that, that's me, that is. <laughs> it's all you. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say, wow. yeah, no, but no, that's that's all of you. So, so, Andrew, you are the co-founder of Unedited. You're a former, no, not a former, you are still currently, because I'm looking at you with all of that vinyl, um, very deep I music lover. I haven't in years. But you're still a music lover. But you're a music lover. I'm still lover. a music lover, but I haven't DJed in years. <laughs> I couldn't tell you the last time I've done it. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it because you're talking to me from the UK. I'm in Los Angeles. Yep. It's evening where you are. I'm in London. You're in London. I'm in London. To be specific. West London, but it, but it doesn't sound like I'm from London, but I'm in West London. <laughs> I'm from Birmingham originally. I've still got the accent, but go. I'm in West London. And for those who don't know UK geography, Birmingham is in the Midlands, in the centre of England not the United Kingdom, because that could get us into trouble, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, So you go from DJing and loving music, and you still do, but you are the owner of, you are the co-owner and founder of a podcast and digital production company. Um, As briefly as you can, um, that trajectory, like how do you go from DJ to, um, to talk? essentially talk and documentary right um um to be totally honest i'm not surprised i got there because when i was younger i always i wanted to be a football commentator because i just love football mm. and so when i was young i was one of those kids that used because i was my, my sister's like five years older than me so there was a time where i was basically like an only child because my sister was like 16 17 18 she doesn't want to hang out with no 12 year old <laughs> so i began to, i was one of the kids that would speak to myself um because i didn't have any siblings hold on hold all on. my cousins were far away were you the youngest child yes okay. no, yeah i was the youngest child, so yeah, youngest yeah. child to youngest <laughs> child i understand because no one likes us so you end up yeah, talking to no, yourself but, <laughs> so i ended up talking to myself i used to play i used to love football and i still do which is soccer in America, but it's no, no, no. we're calling it football. Uh, yeah. uh, okay, all right, just to make. Um, and I used to play in the garden and pretend. Um, I used to commentate while I played football by myself. Mm. So, and then I used to like it. And then one time, my mum's friend called Grace, who she used to work with, you remember those uh, tape recorders with the microphone on, but they're, they're like the um, slim ones, and you put. Yes. She brought one of them one time to the house, and it had a microphone, and I and she was like, "Yeah, you can record your voice," you know. 
And then I got a cassette and I just recorded all day long interviews with my sister, with my mum, my dad. I just did all that. And I thought, this is this is me, man. I like doing this kind of stuff. Um, was, I must have been about 10 or something or 11. I can't remember. And I think that's probably how I probably have ended up back doing stuff that to do with speech and talk. Mm. Um, so that's probably why. I think I would say, yeah, yeah. What, what I used to it? like doing all that stuff. So, what was it about? Is it that you like talking to people, or that you like you wanted to learn about people? What was it? Um, I don't actually know. You know, um, yeah, I, I was quite inquisitive as a child, so I did ask a lot of questions. <laughs> my mum would probably say that, and my dad. So, yeah, um, I just liked it, and then I realised oh, I want to be a journalist. But then when I started writing to do like newspaper journalism, I found it quite boring. Mm-hmm. so and then I realized music because of you know music came into my life and and that was where I wanted to be on the cusp of stuff I wanted to push the boundaries I wanted to I was very counterculture you wanted to push wanted the to boundaries the opposite. all right so give yeah. us so let's go back a little bit more so that we have some context you wanted to push the boundaries so this is the part where we get into who you are in your context Andrew um, exactly so <laughs> you are you're a black kid in the UK, so you were already yeah. in some and growing up in the and I feel like I can say this and you won't you can't punch me anyway because you're far away. Yeah. Growing up in the eighties, where yep. for context, yep. yes, it was multicultural. Or for those of us who grew up in the eighties, we thought it was, and then you look back and you go, oh, actually, nah, nah it wasn't <laughs> at all. So, um, give us a little sense of of that background that I've just hinted at, and if you can try and connect that to this desire to be um, countercultural i'm thinking now uh you come from a caribbean background mm-hmm. so my dad's from jamaica mom's from trinidad um you throw in together that you're so a lot of my family my mom's side of my family didn't live in the uk it was all they lived in america and so forth so all my family most of them i'd say 95 percent of them were jamaicans <laughs> so you grow up around jamaicans it's a loud household <laughs> There's a lot of music, there's a lot of parties and there's a lot of dancing and there's a lot of pushing the envelope and pair that with my uncle who became a Rasta. Um, my grandma did not like that. My I was going to say, like pushing the envelope <laughs> in all the ways because like now he's so, just doing it from a Jamaican um, standpoint. It was like, no, you're doing too much. Yeah. Wow. So there was that in the household. He would come. But the weird thing is he would eat meat. No, I think about it. it was very strange. It was very strange. Um, yeah, and my my grandma was a very like God fearing woman. Church every Sunday, and my granddad, but he liked the bookies and the racing. Um, so it, it, it's that kind of pushing the the element. My, my dad was an entrepreneur. He owned his own Caribbean restaurant, one of the first in the Midlands in West Bromwich. Mm, what's, what was um, it called? Yeah. yeah, what was it called? It was called it was called Caribana and. They actually, if you go to the BFI, the Bill, the, you know, the British Film Institute, there's actually archived because they came and filmed a little piece for a TV show on ITV about it. And it's there. So, yeah, there's that kind of pushing of like doing more than you should have actually done. Because obviously, as you know, growing up in the 80s, you you were told you could only do certain things. Yes. Because of where you came from. But, but my mum and dad weren't like that. They never kind of instilled that. They just did what they did. My mum was a midwife. My dad was a fireman but then he was like oh, i don't want to do that i want to be my own boss but he never said that but you could just i, I could i know now because I, i'm older i can understand why he did that um and then think and then i think about 
damn, you're going to have to get a loan and you have to get open this rest. That's the big thing in the 80s because mm. they weren't doing that. They weren't borrowing to black businesses and open a Caribbean restaurant. The bank manager would be like, what? But I don't know how he got it. I've, I've spoke to him about it now, but he kind of plays it down as they Like it was just the do. thing, as they do, exactly. Yeah, yes, they do. Because, you know, as you would know, you, you know, you, my parents are quite, they're not conservative, but they they used to read the Daily Mail. Daily Express. So, <laughs> Daily Mail so being you, like a right-wing tabloidy yeah, newspaper that yeah. would say some really funky things and you really shouldn't read it. But yeah, I understand. So yeah, I came from that kind of culture and then my sister got into like house music in the 80, about 88, 87 and then she got into hip-hop and then I got into that and then I saw the rebellion in hip-hop because mm. I, I didn't listen to I I heard reggae because my mum and dad listened to it but to me it was like oh, it's that reggae song here I love a Marley man do <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean but at the same time it was, it was, it's a mixed bag so I came from that and then you know when you're trying to find your identity I liked rebellion so I kind of pushed towards counterculture I didn't want to do what everybody else was doing mm. um, and my sister was kind of like that because we'd have grown up on pop music we like I mean I'm not going to phrase it I, I love Duran Duran and I love Culture Club and AHA all that 80s pop stuff which is, is, is still good but then you grow out of that and you start to find your own thing and that's when I found hip hop um, and then later on R&B and then as we go on the UK stuff the UK garage grime jungle drum and bass mm-hmm. so- and then you go back and find the funk and all that, that the American stuff that I never grew up with because my mum and dad were into that Wow, when was the first time you heard like a funk tune? Then, do you think? In my, in my like, when, because of hip hop, because they sampled right, it, and then I was course. like, "What's it? What's this? What? <laughs> what is this amazing <laughs> thing? It's called funk music. That's wild." Oh I said the only mu- like soul music was Motown. In your house, and all, all the light stuff like Lionel Richie or yeah. the Commodores, or you know what I mean. The, I do. The were stuff you, that the stuff you, the top forty? Yeah, you mean the stuff that um, they insisted on playing at parties like all night long on loop for no reason. Calling the gang. Yes, either before or yeah. after Madonna holiday. Yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. Because they thought Madonna was a black girl, and they thought, "Oh, it sounds really good at it," and then they realized, "Oh, she's a black. Girl. She's really good at it." <laughs> Yeah, that 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 holiday. Yeah, so there was that kind of. So that kind of has led me to why I do the things I do, and why I've never. Why I I don't hate the mainstream, but I don't want to be part of the mainstream. But I am part of the mainstream because you can't survive without being part of the mainstream. But I, I don't mean, like the mainstream. I mean, yes and no, but I think the heart of what you're talking about is the cal- the counterculture part and the pushing the boundaries, which I think is necessary in order to mm. grow something or make it better. So really it was, it speaks to your inquisitiveness and you just wanting stuff to be different or better. And it sounds that like that's how you were doing that, right? Yeah. I'm pushing the culture. I want everybody to hear what I was listening to, but exactly. kind of at the same time being egotistical and going, I'm listening to something you're not listening to. I heard it first, but here it is and follow me. <laughs> which then takes <laughs> us, which then takes us to that first stop of you being a radio DJ. <laughs> exactly that. Because before that, I used to make compilation tapes for people. You did. And sit there and record mix, mix tapes. Yeah. I'd do that pause record, get my records. I used to buy records and then mm. I'd record and make a tape for somebody, charge them 50 pence or whatever. I don't know. I can't remember. Wow. And then, um, and then, you know, put the, put the precious songs or put a remix of a song that that was like you know just to be you know this is different i got this first i mean you can call it you can call it ego i mean that's fine but you you were crate digging 
How old? And that was your yeah. first business. So how old were you then? I was at senior school then, which is high school. Um, probably about 14, 15, 16. I mean, that's pretty was impressive. That. That's pretty impressive. Uh, I wasn't mixing the records then because I, I didn't have two decks. I just had a record player and a tape, tape recorder. So how would you... <laughs> I think I know the answer. I'm going to ask you anyway. Start the song, yeah, start the, the song, song, stop it, and then play the next song, stop it, and that's it. Hey, listen, if that, I say power to you, you made some money then, excellent. So fr- from that, you, you, I'm not, I'm not saying that it was a direct tra- trajectory, but you, you were a radio presenter, which I think yeah. for a lot of kids growing up in the 80s, um, in the UK, a lot of people wanted to do that, myself included, because I think that's part of my trajectory as well. I wanted to be a radio presenter. Did not happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you? How did you land that job? Like, what? What gets you into the door to land a job like that? Which was, you know, like it's a prime job, and, um, you, and you don't have like a radio DJ parent. No. Well, no. I, because because I loved music so much, I went to university. And I used my university grant to buy Technics records decks instead of um <laughs> instead of paying for food. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought two decks and a mixer, and then I started mixing records. Mm. And um, and I remember my dad saying, "What are you doing? This is rubbish, boy. Wasted your time. Turn mm. it down. All that. Don't like all this swearing because <laughs> there's hip hop in it." Exactly. <laughs> and same with my mum as well. So I'd turn it down going to the other room so yeah I did that and then I wasn't gonna do DJing because I knew to myself that you can't get be a DJ and hardly anybody becomes a DJ it's such a high it's like being a footballer like one in a million in it so yeah, you can't make a living out of that um it's because I knew somebody so I started out DJing as part of like a, um it was three of us um and we were like a DJ crew and we kind of played a bit in clubs and stuff and then one of the who was a, it was a girl she left and she became a presenter on the station was choice mm. and she got really popular but we still knew her and we knew it she was like a good friend and then by chance she just came to me and goes oh um they're looking for somebody to do a show on which was then called galaxy in birmingham mm-hmm. um a show could you just do a tape for me and i'll just give it to my boss because they need somebody to do this show and i and i just did this tape and i didn't really think much of it and they, they were they liked me and got me to do this shift, got oh. me to do this like graveyard shift show on a saturday night at like 12 midnight till three amazing what was, was the show my... though was it just you just music you saying this is this song like a version of your tapes uh, yeah yeah it's just, it's just a, a music show it was called uh, it was a hip-hop show and i called it um the hip-hop hang suite that's what i called it <laughs> <laughs> after because of maxwell's urban say... hang suite i was like yeah <laughs> let me call it <laughs> That's that's it was in the mid yeah it was two thousand or something yes, yeah yes two thousand okay. I landed that and then and then I thought I'm in here now I'm just gonna work hard um brown knows everybody and try and get a show on daytime and that's what I did <laughs> for the, over the next couple of years and then um I got and then because the station was part of a network network that was like national then I got two national shows that were across the whole country and then I started and I began DJing in the clubs and then I DJed um for a dj in pasha in ibifa which is a big club in ibifa yeah. for like five years straight in the summer every summer i'd go over there that was good in the r&b room and then i started djing for stars like dj for beyonce Nicki Minaj, wait 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 um... wait 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 <laughs> you start djing yeah. for beyonce and Nicki minaj yeah because you 
at the beginning of the shows, they always need a DJ, don't they? And you, you were the DJ. To, <laughs> and I'd be the DJ in that big arena on the stage, and I'm playing all these songs before Beyonce or Nicki Minaj or Nas or I can't remember half the people. Uh, Black Eyed Peas. Um, what? I Drake. I did Drake as well. Yeah, there was, was loads. So you DJed live events for Beyonce and all that, all your homies that I didn't know you knew. But you also had your radio show where you would play yeah. these shows and you would interview people as well? Yeah, yeah. They'd come in or we'd do pre-records, interview yeah. loads of people. Like I remember one time, I know he's cancelled now, we don't really talk about it. I remember when Kanye West came and he was his first tour. Was it College Dropout was the first album? Yeah. He was doing a tour with Tyler Colley. Mm-hmm. And he came into the studio and it was only supposed to be like a 15-minute interview. He stayed for an hour. Because he can talk. As you know, as everybody can now see, he just talks. Mm-hmm. And I started winding him up on purpose because I'd read about him. I used to research about him and I knew I'd heard about he was like, you know, he's very sure of himself. Mm-hmm. So I got in an argument, not an argument, a very heated discussion about Tribe Called Quest and who did who did the most production. Was it Ali Shee, Mohammed or Q-Tip? And I kept winding him up and he was getting angry. No, it's Q-Tip. And I knew it was Q-Tip. I was saying, but you can't dismiss what Ali Shaheed does. And he just got angry about it. He's got really annoyed and he just <laughs> carry on talking. He just talked. Wow. And I think we still got the, I've got the interview somewhere. Yeah, Cause I saved a lot of my interviews on like mini discs. Remember mini discs? Oh, yes, I do. I, I used to, to report, record, used to record my reports on mini discs. That. So that was a good, in, good interview. And then I did a really good interview with Amy Winehouse mm. um, when she first came with the first album. She came in um, and we did a, um, it was always good with UK artists because back then they can't, we had the affinity with them because we were from the UK. Mm. And I remember she came in with a, this guy who, who used to play the guitar for her and she just did a like, she goes, oh, do you want me to play some songs for you? And I said, yeah, play some songs. We'll just record it. So she did a couple of songs and then we just spoke for about 45 minutes. Oh. And that was that was pre-Amy. That was um, the first album before she yes. did Back, Back to Black. Yes. Do you, so do she was in a better state of mind. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, before it all... Mm. It all did what it yeah. did. Do you did you feel in that time because you were pushing the boundaries or you wanted to, but you were in this <laughs> incredible spot and incredible space that you were able to do that? And were you doing it through your interviews, through the people you selected? Um, at the time, you didn't feel like it was. You feel like, oh, they're not hearing me. They're not listening. But as time goes on and as time pushes on, you see that. You see what you've done. You're part of the foundation because you see where music is that was then is now. It's mainstream. It's pop music. Back then, we were trying to push for it to get to where it was. Um, so, and you know that you're part of it. And then you hear people say, oh, "I remember I used to listen to you," or mm. "Oh, you're so and so." I remember you. I remember this. I remember that. Oh, you put me on this song. I remember this song, and I, I went and got the album or something. So. You do influence people, but you just don't realise it because you just don't hear it. Because you're on the radio and you don't hear people. You don't get the... Um, it's not like today with social media where you get... Everything there was no social media back then. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening to the Cypher podcast with me, Christabel Nsiabwadi. Sign up for our newsletter. It's at www.thecypherpod.com. How do you live your passion in real life? Music and production professional Andrew Spence has used his passion to fuel his career, becoming one of the production entrepreneurs at the center of Unedited. Keep it locked for more. When looking back, what would you describe your legacy in radio to 
be? Um, just being part of the movement, bringing black music to the mainstream. Um, because it was already happening in America and we'd go over to America and interview these people and stuff and we'd hear all the radio stations. And now it's in the UK, we have stations that play black music in the daytime. Remember in the noughties, the nineties, you had to listen at a particular time to hear a, a show that you, that played all that music because it didn't get played in the daytime. Yeah. Now, if you come to England, you'll hear stations like Capital Extra, One Extra, uh, Capital Reload. They're all playing them or you just get your you know your spotify playlist and play what you want right. but back then you didn't have any of that you had to make an appointment to listen mm-hmm. do you and, so, and you know you talk about black music but there's i remember in the 90s and the noughties you know there were black british bands coming up at the time as well you know we had some bands yeah, yeah. you know like that they, they landed at number one i remember being like wait the last time i remember like a black british band i think there might have been two or three other times that that might have happened yeah. In in my lifetime, I know beforehand there would have been that, and I'm talking about the 90s onwards. Um, yeah. But uh, did you feel like um, UK black music was had found its new modern voice? Um, how would you describe not it? Not then. Not then. Not then. Not in the, the noughties. It was still at that kind of juncture. When I was coming to the end of the noughties, I started to play a lot of UK hip hop and then what became grime. And then I started to, so basically I started to get to know people like Kano, mm-hmm. who's in Top Boy, yep. um, who's an actor now. And I became quite good friends with him because I liked what he did. And then, it, and I was just, as I started to finish, I started to help another guy, Retch Free Too, who was another guy that was coming. And Skepta was out at that time as well. And I was playing his records. Wow. But, and Dizzy, and Dizzy Rascal was out. And then obviously Wiley. So they were the people that were bringing that British scene forward. There was no British R and B scene. There was a few people that came out, but they were so American. Yeah, I remember them. I remember back in the day when UK hip hop was out, they would literally put on American accents. Yeah, as they were rapping, and I'd be like, I can't listen to this actually. And there'd be a few that would have their London accents, and I was like, okay, I can, I can roll with that because that feels it feels more authentic in that way. And that, yeah, that was it. They found their own identity, um, which was which was really really good because um, that's why you had the Skeptors and the Wileys and the Dizzy Rascals and the Kanos and all those people that are now massive now and in TV shows and doing big things. Ashley Walters, Soul Solid Crew, yes. they were out. Yep. He's in Top Boy. Yep. They were rapping in their own accent basically. So that was, and I was playing that music and playing the UK garage and all that. And that was that was the Britishness that I could kind of bring forward be in tune with because i knew what they were talking about and i knew what they were saying and they were saying slang and they weren't saying american slang it was it was UK. english slang yeah wow so you, so, you, you did absolutely um you work out was part of it. yeah you were part of it you were you were the microphone part of the movement you were the microphone for sure 100 percent. now yeah. today you are <laughs> you run a business <laughs> it's not yeah, a hard pivot boring stuff no, but, but is it i mean why does it feel so boring to you um because if you're counterculture and you're very power to the people and and have a socialist mind and you know mm-hmm. you you think you know you want to all and and it was very creative when you be when you start making things stop making things which i don't make them anymore because yeah. you you're running a company the creativity goes out the window because you're mm. doing the numbers and the hr and the strategy and the 
all that kind of stuff. Right. And it's fun doing it, but you you know, I haven't been on Adobe Audition for a year. <laughs> I couldn't tell you the last time I've been on there to edit because <laughs> that's what they used to love doing, right. making soundtracks and stuff and putting, you know, I haven't produced a series. The last series I produced was Coming In From The Cold, which was our, one of our big hits. And then I haven't done anything since then. Mm. So and that what, was in 2019. What made you pivot? But, we, we've had Bernard on and he talked about the the beginnings of, of the company in terms of, you know, what happened with Mark Duggan and the conversation you had with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to remind people who may not have listened, although I'd urge you to go back and listen to the interview to hear that. But really briefly, yeah. it was ultimately there were there was an uprising after the shooting of a black man in the UK and um Bernard just got frustrated um at at the narratives that he was hearing around those uprisings and around, around the shootings. Um, and I understand that that was the birth of unedited, but from your perspective, what, what motivated you from DJing and really pushing the culture in that way to yeah. founding a, a production company? Well, in between that, I stopped DJing. So I think I stopped DJing and I came off the radio in about 2013. Mm. and because of um so in the uk there was a big conglomerate companies were taking over radio stations and were making a lot of cuts of jobs so i lost my job mm. and i just thought you know what i don't know what to do next and then i was i had a son on the way and i was like i need to get a proper job and sort my life out so i just got a civil <laughs> a normal I don't mean to say that, but it's, you know, no, a but civilian know job. You mean. Yeah, it was a non-creative yeah, yeah. job. And as a creative person, yeah. that can be very difficult. Oh, it was hard. So I went and worked in a call centre. Uh, yeah, I went and worked in a call centre at Sky mm. because I wanted to work at Sky Sports because I love sports. So I thought, let me work there so I can get into this, the building and start bothering people. I tried to do that, didn't get anywhere. And then I worked as an account management for a recycling firm. <laughs> and then I went to work on the trains, the train, so the, the train system uh, at Marlebone train station as a station supervisor because it was good money and I became part of a union. There you go. But but that but that begs a question as a creative, and I'm not saying those yeah. jobs don't allow for creativity in their own way, <laughs> but as a yeah. creative who's used to being creative in one way and being part of the culture how yeah. how did you adjust to those to those kind of jobs where you're not in front of a microphone I hate it, not... hated it it's horrible couldn't stand mm. it did <laughs> it you... was just there as a means to the end to just pay the bills and right live right um because I'd given up at getting back and I tried to get back into radio and stuff and it just wasn't happening and production and just couldn't get a job and I was just like oh, forget this mm. and then by this is before I spoke to no, I spoke to Bernard then and he was talking about starting the company. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, and then in the meantime, I was still doing my normal working on the railway job. And yeah, that, I had that job. And all that time, while well, that was going on, me and Bernard were starting unedited. But the thing with that, I don't know what Bernard said about it, but unedited was based on pro bono, man. That's all it was, <laughs> pro bono. So you work for free. <laughs> <It> was like, <laughs> working for, yeah, that's what, basically it. We were basically trying to build our name because... Nobody had never heard of us. So we would just, you know, if you wanted something, a podcast done, we would just do it ourselves, me and Bernard between us and just mm. record it and get our mics and 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 just do stuff. But why, and, was, um, why was it so important for you to have uh, unedited for you? Like, why was it important that your company existed in the first place? In that political For spirit? me, mm -hmm. yeah, for me, 
I just wanted to do something myself and be my own boss. I hate working for people. Mm-hmm. I, I can't stand it. I, <laughs> I lo- when I was on the radio, I were, I know I was working for people, but it was my own show and I controlled what was going out. I controlled the content. I played my own music. I picked what I want. So it was that kind of freeness. Mm-hmm. And I like, when I got my normal job, I hated working on the buses just to get my nerves. Um, I like, I'm a creative in it. I like to just work when I want to work and yeah. do what I want to do. And right. Leave me alone and I'll do it for you and, and It'll be great. I'll bring you back what you need. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and that's what unedited was about. It's unedited, isn't it? It's not, it's not, it's not it's, a polished thing. It is polished, obviously. It, but yeah, I was going to say, just, it is, your work is actually quite polished, yes. But it's expensive. <laughs> that's a good point that you make. Like unedited is really about something being um, untouched or yeah. left alone. Organic. Or organic. Mm. And But it also, you know, you think about something being big. And it goes back again to that counterculture thing you talk about. It's just like, it's, you know what, don't mess with it because maybe you might learn something. That's what I think when I think about unedited. So you, 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 you go from being a creative and then you yeah. have a, you have a minute where you have to, you have to make money. So you're doing jobs that you hate and then you start yeah. your production company and you're doing stuff for free. <laughs> how yeah, long yeah. was it until you actually got your first company paycheck and how did you feel? Um. This is mad, you know. I'm going to say something so wild that I've never ever thought. And I said it to I said it to Bernard today, and we were laughing about it. We we en- we entered for this funding scheme with, with Talksport called the Audio Content Fund, um, and it was because of the Audio Com- Content Fund we got our biggest slice of money um, to do some some stuff on um, Talksport uh, sports show, weekly sports show that, that had diverse voices, basically. Um, because sport in England, especially football, was very white and male. So we come up with the idea to have, you know, women, women from different back, uh, genders, uh, different races and people, different sexualities, because it's white, male and straight football was. Mm. But there isn't, it's not like that. There's people from all backgrounds. So we did that and we got a lot of money for that. And the hilarious thing was this audio content film was sanctioned by the government. It was part of the government scheme. And the government scheme of that, obviously at this time, is the Tory government, is is the Conservatives. Right. So it, me and Berta were saying, it is down to the, if it wasn't for the Conservatives, I don't think Unedited would be, be where it is. <laughs> the is this is so mad. being the, the equivalent of the Republicans for our American listeners, that yeah. is pretty yeah. hilarious Boris and Johnson. ironic. Boris Johnson. Yeah, Boris, Boris Johnson, no less. Wow. Yeah. And then he a, yeah, he's the prime minister. Wow. And then for and for people who don't know, like give tell people what the remit is of unedited, the people who haven't listened to the Bernard interview yet, but will do. What does unedited do? What do you mean do? the remit? As in what's your angle, the editorial angle? What does unedited oh, do? So our thing is sport, music and culture, but telling stories that have never been told and that are diverse stories. Right. Or just amazing stories because um yeah, we can tell you black stories from the UK around the world next etc but we can also tell you you're just crazy mad stories um because there's this thing where which we are very aware of we don't don't always come to us and ask us to do a black story because sometimes we would just say we don't want to do a black story we just want to do a story we can do black stories and we want it and we want to tell them well but um you know we want to do other stories about other things that aren't just color related about to do with color 
So those stories, those you're talking about underrepresented stories or unearthed stories or stories that some yeah. people might call new, but they're not new to the. Because I'm, I get very icky when when I use the word new stories because they're not new to the person who's telling them. They're just a story no. that we haven't heard. So they're the kind exactly. of stories that you're telling and unearthing. Yeah. Name some of your shows before I kind of go to my next question. Um. So we've done an, a few shows that are a few podcast series that have done really well awards wise i couldn't tell you what the listenership is because when you give them to these the people they don't tell you how much they, right. they never tell you figures right. <laughs> but they've won so many awards so we did a um we did a podcast stroke radio series that went out went on talk sport which is national that talk sports like the biggest sports station in the uk it's called coming in from the cold it's just the history of black football players in the uk so it just tells you in england it's tells you about the first black black football player to play in the game and just tells you the story of how they all came to where we are now that won loads of awards international um it's still available now and that's our thing that's our that to use a kanye west thing which we shouldn't that was our college dropout that mm. was our out that was our debut that's Achoo. the one that that went platinum and everybody was like who are these guys um we also made this story about a guy called peter um peter scott morgan who um suffered from uh was it uh m and d motor neurone disease okay m and d right. yeah so basically his body's debilitating but he has got such a mind in him he wants to become a cyborg cyborg so he wants to basically be the first human cyborg what? so <laughs> he wants to basically so he takes out his voice box and puts in a computer one so he can speak he gets a cyborg suit because he can't his, his, his muscles are yeah. degenerating so he wants to get like a cyborg suit so basically they did a documentary on channel four which is a uk station a terrestrial um linear station and the people that made it said can you do the accompanying podcast wow, to wow. It? so we did it it's called peter 2.0 and it's just about the first stage of peter sadly peter's no longer with us mm. he passed away last year mm. um but the, the thing that's a great story in itself and he's trying to build the house of the future where he's basically going to live the rest of his life because he knows he's going to have he's got motor neurone disease and he's, he's not going to be able to do much he's going to be and he doesn't want to be confined to a wheelchair he wants to use technology to help him live wow. so it's peter the human cyborg but the thing about peter he had a great backstory he was the first um gay man to get married in england and he, we also told the story about the love story of how he met his partner uh, and his husband so he was a pioneer so all in that. all the ways he's a pioneer in all so it's, it's a great story so we did that and it won a load of awards and got wow. nominated for a load of awards and um and it and it partnered the i think the documentary is still available on channel four if you look at it it's called peter the human cyborg wow. just the visual documentary and then the accompanying one is still available it's all on your normal podcast platforms so, and then that did really well for us yeah no i was gonna say what what i'm hearing though again is like you're still pushing the boundaries through unedited because that that whole thread of like i'm trying to push counterculture i'm trying to do something different you're doing that with unedited through, yeah. through you know ultimately and that's that's what you you came through that um you're the co-owner and you're you're the you're the big boss now so you don't get to be creative so you alluded to it earlier how do you get to use any of your creativity in your job or does it look different uh it looks different now because the thing with the company you start off as a small business yeah. and you start to transition into a medium business and that's what we're doing now mm. so when you're doing that you got to start talking think about operations and processes and all that kind of boring stuff that that is necessary isn't about yeah you know budgets and strategies and 
financial forecasts and all that. Not just, oh, let's just go and make this because it's amazing. <laughs> we still do that, but we leave that to the producers. And if there are ideas, Bernard, he's kind of latched onto that. I've kind of taken the role of like, we've got to get the company in a great position and we have to look at the, you know, what, yeah. how much money we got and so forth. Bernard does all the, I want to do this idea, I want to do that. I've got some ideas, but you've you got to play your role. And we both yin and yang after each other. What did my my wife said to me? You've got to have a, a dreamer and a doer. Mm-hmm. And you are the Bernard's the doer. Bernard's the dreamer because he's got all the ideas and he wants to do all these fantastic things Mike. that cost money. Mike, do you? But think... they're amazing ideas. Yeah. Well, do you think we'll we'll see some of your ideas in the future after you've, you know? Um. Yeah, we've got. I mean, we've got loads of ideas that we've written, and there's a few that have come out. I mean. Um, we're working on a few that are, hopefully will come out. Um, that's what we're trying to work on this year is our originals because mm. we've done a number of the originals that we've done. Like coming in from the cold, that was an original. I met, I wrote that and come up with the idea and everything. And Peter two point oh, it wasn't an original, but Bernard kind of backed the the story. Um, we did another one about um, academy football and how. We did a series about how it's a one in a million chance and all the pitfalls and it's selling the impossible dream, basically. We did that and that, again, was an idea from my head and with somebody else and we I developed that. Mm. So we've got original ideas. Um, we've, we do a few music shows. We've, we've got this one music show that's doing really well on BBC Sounds called The Throwback Party. Mm. It's just basically me reliving all the old school songs. So they came to us. <laughs> they came to us and goes, we want to do an old school show. But you, you, a lot of these old school shows, me and Bernard thought they don't do it, they don't do it right. So we just thought you can have a show that's called a part. It was called I think yeah. They said oh we want to call it Throwback Pie, and we said to them well you can't just have people just talking and having songs because that's a radio show. You need to have a party. So but we basically did is brought in a DJ to do mixes and these people the two presenters present pretend they're at the party no. and they're just playing playing songs and the <laughs> DJs mixing all the songs together. And it's all 90s and noughties and 10s, R&B, hip-hop, reggae, bashment, all that, all the old school stuff. And it's done really well. It's only been running about eight, nine months, and it won an award last year. Um, and it's and it's going to do big things this year. It's got some great things that are going to happen this year with it. It's going to make it get even more in the spotlight. So we do still do the music stuff because we like to do it. We only do it if it um, excites us. Got you. But that feels kind of full circle to me. And it sounds like there's a lot yeah. of stuff coming on. Andrew, thank you so much yeah. for joining me. That was I, I got I got I got, a, I got a history lesson in music and pop culture in the one that in the sense that this was me watching it from the outside and be like, who are these people? And I've got to talk yeah. to one of them, and it's you, Andrew Spence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got stories. I just don't tell them. <laughs> Well, well I'm going to find another time to get another story because you really do. <laughs> I, like listeners, if you saw my face, well, some of you will. My mouth was slack. Um, Andrew Spence, co-owner, co-founder of Unedited, an amazing production company that has lots of podcasts that you should all check out and former DJ and all round uh, culture mover um and um um, and baddie thank you very much for joining me on the cypher no thank you very much chris it's been a pleasure 
Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Andrew Spence. He's the co-founder of Unedited and an award-winning radio DJ, presenter and producer. Follow Andrew on Instagram and Twitter at WeAreUnedited. Go to our website, which is at www.thecipherpod.com to find out more about Andrew and his company and to get those links to his socials. You can listen to The Cypher wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. Our production team includes Cerise Small, Larissa Witcher, Ty Hughes and Eugene Kidd. And of course, there is me, Christabel Insiabwadi. Thanks for joining us. The Cypher is a My Lens Media production.